Hello, everyone. It's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman Podcast. I am on the road again, which seems unbelievable to me. I love my little cabin in the woods. I like to stay there more often. But these travels have some silver linings for all of you and the show, because although I'm very intentional about recruiting targeted artists and authors and uh, people that I really love the work they're doing in the world on sexuality or creativity or community or spirituality. Uh, there are also these wonderful synchronicities that happen when I'm traveling and I meet people I probably otherwise would not have met and then I get to introduce them to all of you. And today is a guest that I met last August, Tessa Crone. And Tessa was attending a day-long workshop seminar yoga thing that I was hosting called Your Body This Earth, sort of reconnecting with our core selves as part of nature, as integrated. And it included yoga, meditation, breath work, music, uh, a Thomas Hubel style exercise on separation from nature as the first trauma, and how we could attune to and feel nature again in a way that would allow us to take action uh, for structural change on climate. So anyway, Tessa was there. We immediately hit it off in part because she is hosting something called Open Nesters and it's an invitation to re-examine your relations in midlife after the kids leave home. Um, But you know, what does it mean to be open, expansive, creative, curious all the way into your 60s, 70s and beyond? So she has also a bonus for you because her voice is so lovely to listen to. So please enjoy this conversation with the wise and wonderful Tessa Crown. Well, it's very nice to see you. I haven't seen you since New York, since Sensing Woman. And that was, woof, that was a lot. How are you doing? I'm so good. I just had a 61st birthday that filled me with more love than I realized is around. And I just wish I could, I am trying to find ways to share that sentiment and feel connected to the way I feel connected. Yeah, 61. It's not the same as your mom's 61, was it? (laughs) No, I don't know. She was so, my mom passed away, but she was so vital too. So I don't see her as other than... Maybe not knowing how to make choices in her life the way I feel like I'm gifted to. Other than that, she had such joy in who she was as a mom and as a human being that I do feel like that was a gift to me too. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the work that you're doing with the Open Nesters is to help people reimagine this part of life, like 50, 60, 70, and beyond. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your mission with your programming and your show. I would love to. It's, it feels like it's my life's work coming together. So there's the most, there's no, nothing I love talking about more because openings and especially openings from the heart and openings that become conscious choices and open nesting at this stage of life that's not empty, that our kids are leaving but not emptying our lives. They're, they're, they're leaving us openings for them, for them to come back and forth, which I don't like binary things of like, you're out and that's it. So me personally, I haven't lived that way. 24-year-old, going to be 25, is home, going to go to law school next year. And I also feel like the ways we see ourselves because we have so many choices requires so much embodiment and groundedness that looking at choices while looking at 
how we invent rituals that serve us at this stage of life, open our hearts, open our connectedness, is is the essence of what I'm my mission is. And the Open Nesters is about teaching and opening for people the vitality of what's possible for them to choose at this stage of their lives. And that's what the mission is about, a, a connection to embodiment and to choices in our lives that actually, what I hope, surprise us. Because when we know everything, we're coming from the, a place that doesn't give us the kind of openings that come from curiosity and exploration and saying, what if... And not aging into the places that, like you said, maybe are maybe that's that that is where I would say, I'd say my parents and our generation above us, and many for many generations they had a lot more survival. We have we ha- there's a little more privilege that it, when you're in the pl- privileged place, that you're not working four jobs for survival, you know, getting on buses, struggling, and feeling some of the marginalization and oppression that I know people still feel in the world. So many people. So I don't ever like to negate that. So when you come from a place of of possibility, opening choice, that we've been educated, that we've been able to practice for ourselves, give ourselves a lot of self-love, then then those surprises and that curiosity can open up a whole world that we're not always looking at. So the mission is to really look anew with new eyes at this vitality at this stage of life and the openings for heart connections, love connections, intellectual stimulation. New di- and new discoveries of all kinds. Yeah, I think you're, you call it living with an open heart. And I wonder what you think closes the heart to begin with. Well, certainly when you're in a survival mode, Maslow's pyramid, like, and you're, if you're, you have to just take care of yourself. And, but yet that's not even true. If you look at India, you look at many of the places we know about in the world that are, that are still open hearted, even in the slums of Bombay. I mean, I just, I don't have enough experience to speak of that. And yet I see that people can be happy and open because on the other side of it, the greed and the patriarchy and the competition, from my point of view, have also suppressed it because they've taken over our ability to want our lives to be connected to another person in order to enrich and grow and expand each other and make this world about more unity and love rather than competition. So specifically... What it what closes it? There, I don't know. There's so many things that close it. You know, the things that come from home, the programming, the abuse, the imposition, the tr- the, the, the competition, the patriarchy, the the pursuit of greed. All that takes away from the ability to soften our hearts. So, in this stage of life, you know, you've lived a while, and things keep happening to you over and over, and somehow, you know, some people get to midlife and they're open hearted and they're excited, and some people get to midlife and they're kind of contracted. And I wonder in your work in unwinding, looking at new ways, what have you seen that closes the heart to begin with? I think that's such a multi-layered and so un- ex- completely, I-, I don't know if I could ex- access really all the reasons. And yet I believe that people have so much trauma and there's so much marginalization. And so they've had to really protect themselves until they have found the time and ways to become more aware and do all that work of, the, of, of deprogramming all the, all the issues that have, have hurt and harmed and will continue to. You know, we hold the shadow and the light. We don't, know, we don't have it one way, even for, for all the hurt or, shadow or, or areas of our personality or collective consciousness we've inherited, and yet marginalized, you know, people that have so much oppression, 
people that operate also from a sense of, of greed and entitlement. I think that that closes your heart quite naturally because you're, you're thinking that this is the way to, that I am going to live a better life by achievement and money. And that pursuit of that rather than the pursuit of, of connection and happiness and, and the industrialization of, of how we've developed so many ways to you know, isolate ourselves and, and with all of our progress sometimes created more isolation away from Mother Earth, away from grounding, away from how we celebrate it as in, our, in our villages and in the ways that we can, our people are important to us so that our hearts open through the experience of being rather than doing. So I don't know that there's one answer. There just seems to be so many that people can contract from. Yeah, it feels it feels very layered. Like, you know, things hit you and then you don't clear them in real time. I had this crazy dream last night, very related to this, where I was one of those Velcro dartboards and all those little Velcro ping pong balls had stuck to me, like they'd been thrown at me and stuck. And they each had the name of a person that I'd encountered in the last month or two, maybe even just socially. And in the dream, I was plucking off these Velcro ping pong balls and like clearing my own energy field from all of these encounters that were still staying with me. And I sort of feel that that's how it is as you're going through life. If you're not doing energy hygiene and processing stuff that happens in your life, that it it kind of agloms up and you contract and contract and contract until you are closed and it's harder to live from the moment. Oh, my goodness. I so agree. And it's so wonderful because I just revisited your reverence book about rituals and the cleansing, whether it's the moon cycles or whether it's us coming into what, I, what we call this the crone stage of life as women, realizing how, how much opening we can create in rituals if we, if we just get ourselves into a, a, a space to give ourselves that delight. And we often don't understand how practicing delight is almost what pleasure activism for ourselves is actually, it is the way to stay in the moment. It is the way to love more because then we love ourselves more deeply and we can expand and grow into different spaces that give us so much nourishment and feedback because we're coming from that self-love that we've cleansed in our ritual and energized ourselves to be open again. And it doesn't, I mean, I'm not great at the consistency. I'm not going to try to make up that I'm this great. I practiced it 28 days. I do it the right way. I, I'm really, I, I really can't say. I, I probably have a some somewhat of, um, I mean, I know ADD and a little bit of a chaotic brain at times that doesn't help me. So I need more than ever to have some daily practice of a meditation and a grounding and a being outdoors and a connection. And yet, I also, like I think I, we talked about a little bit earlier on this po podcast, I feel like I was blessed having come from a mom who gave me that way of feeling loved and seen, that original mother-womb connection that I feel so blessed for, even now that I turn 61. And I bless these days of the love around me and, and my health and the way I show up in the world. So that is what is a reinforcement for, for me when, when you are cl cleansing and we all go through different traumas and remembering to definitely come back to that, even if we've lost it for a little while. Yeah, I want to encourage you to be kinder to yourself. On the, I should do it every day. Can we just talk about that? Like often this thing about like, oh, I should do it. I should be so ritualized. I should be so disciplined. Like, <laughs> you know what? You're doing what you can. 
And sometimes that that feeling of like we have to do it every day is like the enemy of just doing what we can. People start to feel bad about not being perfect at something. Not saying you do, but in general. Like maybe you only got to one full moon ritual this year. You only went to one full moon ritual. No big deal. You know, congratulations, you got to one. And if I'm looking at myself as how to revere myself, that's one of the idea of reverence. It, it really can be sometimes I just want to reveal myself with making soup or I want to reveal myself with just, you know, one of my friends recently said, I celebrated that I cleaned the butter dish. Like I was cracking up. It's like, okay, that's great. Just celebrate that. Small wins. <laughs> I did go to a full moon ritual this month, the first full moon of the year. And it was interesting because it was uh, held in a Lakota lodge in Petaluma, California. And the chief was very, uh, it was very simple. You know, it was basically singing and pipe ceremony and but the the ritual was primarily going around the circle and saying prayers of people who you wanted to bring in, healing that you wanted for them, uh, things that were on your heart, also celebrations that were on your heart. It wasn't mystical and woo-woo. It was the practice of people sitting in a circle and and saying what was authentic and true for them and asking for help and having shared celebration and and then connection to like, thinking about living on this earth and grandmother moon. And and I found it very moving, but it was also one of the few places that I'd experienced in the regular culture where people were just getting together and taking the time to presence what was alive for them with no other purpose other than that. And that seems to be a part of your whole mission with open nesters, like creating spaces where people can connect. And, and also with this year's theme on friendship, can you Talk a little bit about what you're seeing emerging in your show this season and and connection between people. Oh, thank you. As we we were discussing earlier about connection, like just this openness of connection is missing today. And and I like to talk say that I, I feel privileged that I am not at a place that I struggle to you know, work four jobs and 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 have to f- and and live in a space that doesn't give me a home. I mean, there is so much homelessness and and problems in the world that when I can show up and say I am able to soften my heart in order to connect to someone because I'm aware of who they are. So presencing by showing up with my even my all my stuff, who I am, even how I'm feeling as well as listening for how someone else is showing up in the world. That is the unity of connection. And sometimes it's just a little reason for the way you talk to someone in a store. And someone. It's sometimes someone comes into your life the way I showed up at this festival or, or even the way I met you at Bless Fest and we just had this instant connection. And I have another few people in my life that I only met recently because we came from that space of opening, that we're in a place that... We're ready to welcome what we're here to learn from such an embodied and coherent and cohesive place in our lives. So that is a privilege that I never like to take for granted. And when we show up in our lives, so the open nesters is really not just about the, the kind of the spiritual, soulful part, but we talk about everything from making choices with your partner or without your partner to how you want to live your life space-wise, how you want to choose to travel, how you want to downsize, how you want to create the kind of relationships you want, as well as partnerships that are richer. And sometimes for my husband and I, Amir, on The Open Nesters, we're a polyamorous couple. We've been married for 33 years, and we've had almost half of our lives in this exploration of giving each other 
what we call, you know, the, the space, the love to give each other space and then come back to each other with this way of seeing ourselves anew. So that's opening to becoming as much as we can, even though we're still, you know, we have ego, we have animal, we feed all that side of ourselves that we don't completely get rid of, but we're on a journey to heighten the awareness by connection through the experiences, the silence, the movement, the space of creation that is shows up with being open. So the Open Nesters is now going into season three. The last two seasons, we and we always explore as a mission. We explore the idea that people are at a stage when their kids get to the point they either leave the nest or come back and forth because they're old enough to now not need us in the same way physically at this stage of the open nester stage. And yet we have so many openings, so much vitality, so much to live and give in the world to ourselves and to the people around us and to the world at large that it's a time to celebrate. It's a time not to retire. I mean, retiring, if you need to slow down, slow movement is so important for realizing these things too. And yet it's not a time to just say, I give up, I am finished. We have so much in us to explore. And so we've always explored relationships, as I said, in a very deep way. I mean, we're top 10% of relationship podcasts because we talk about them in such a vital way. And I have such incredible guests that we've brought to our, including you, including these amazing people in touch with their own sensual energy, explorative energy, brilliant intellectual energy, as well as how they partner and see it giving them life in different ways. Not the same, not your grandma's monogamy is one of our podcasts from season two. So season three, we open because friendship I realized that the essence, the essential essence of my aliveness through friendship, and even if I find my alone time or my rituals and my own grounding into Mother Earth being so essential, if I didn't have people that showed up for a reason, a season, or a lifetime to sustain me, to encourage me, to play with me, I've started developing these five languages of friendship around it, and I'm doing my own research for the past many months so that this First January, we launched my intro about season three on friendship for the Open Nesters podcast, platonic friendships, and and the friendships that are they are they transcend the physical. They transcend the physical because they show us something about ourselves, and they support the times that we need the most when we can't support ourselves, and that's why it gives us health in a way that I mean, there's statistics that show that if you don't have friends, it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, like you are just not going to live as healthy of a life, and so obviously at this stage of life, this is something that we know we need the support in, in friendships, and not everybody has learned to do it as naturally, and I do feel blessed for that that I have lifetime friendships and I have spiritual friendships and I have male platonic friendships because I feel that also male energy in my life, it doesn't only have to be sexual. There's so many ways that I bring attention to my essence and my growth through friendships. The whole two months, first two months of the Open Nesters podcast is going to be about friendship. I have one guest host. Her name is Yurel, and Yurel is a, a Dominican woman who, when as soon as I told her about my series, she's like, Tessa, you, how about like beauty parlor and barbershop friendships? And I didn't even think of that one. So she became my guest. She's actually doing a series as well, uh, one episode as well 
on the fact that there's a whole other culture of people that learn their friendships in beauty parlors, and especially from all kinds of ages. And I just love exploring this topic because we don't realize how we bring people into our lives and how we hold them unless we go deeper into that exploration. So I'm talking to my, as I said, dear old friends. I'm talking to new friends. I'm talking to friendship experts. I'm talking to um, men about their need to grow their friendship muscle. And it's going to be an incredible two months of friendship series just to launch our season three. I love the languages of friendship. Thank you. I, I mean, I can name them right, right now what I'm developing. Yeah, I'd love to hear them. Actually, I ask for input. If anybody wants to, really, I'm really looking for how people feel about some of these. So play is the first one because I feel like if we don't connect through our play language, and I go into a lot about what the play languages are but or the play styles are, but the language of play is if you how you played as a child that brought delight into your life that doesn't come from this heavy place that you have to set up something. It's just about that little nuanced opening that we can. So you and I dance together because we both have that play spirit of dancing and movement. And and not everyone has that. Some people it's around sports or some people it's around science. And what did you like to explore when you were really little? And how can you connect to your friend through play? So I love play. The other one is generosity, because generosity is showing up. But generosity is so many things. It encompasses the whole spirit of opening our hearts in that generous way in the moment in in sustaining and supporting our friends. The third one is inspiration, and often that comes from a mentorship, a friendship kind of person that's taught you something in your life or you're teaching them and how we mentor each other. And I love the intergenerational nature of friendship. So we talk about that there. The fourth is creative collaboration and or creative stewardship. I'm working on those words. Kind of just not only if I collaborate with you, but within a group of a master heart, maybe not master mind, but you've helped me inspire create what I'm doing in my life because we're doing it somewhat together or side by side. And that could be play. It has some overlap to play, but usually it has a little more of an outcome to help me on my journey. Play is kind of just for this purposeless, but this has more purpose of creative and, you know, stimulation and stewardship. And the last one is value alignment, that sometimes it's an older friend, sometimes it's a brand new person that can all of a sudden show you a value of something that you've had forever or you're reinventing in yourself as a value and a choice in your life. And all of a sudden, it maybe does a little bit of a breakdown in order to show someone, when you ask someone, may I make a suggestion for you as a friend and or do you just want to vent? Then you're showing your this kind of how I can give you another perspective to help you kind of shift and align your values. So all of those are the ways, the languages I see so far in friendship. And, and I know that it's also in partnerships. I talk about uh, the book Polysecure. So Jen Gunther has a great thing about hearts and how we show up for each other in a polyamorous relationship like or with our kids. And friends are the same thing. How do we show up in different ways And if we've neglected one way, then we can look at it and say, how can I open that language a little bit wider? How can I soften my heart to feel that this person can enter my life, even if it's just for a moment and even if it's for a little longer or a lifetime? I feel so much of friendship is about mutual witnessing, like being there at your vital moments in life. Maybe that's the values component, but even people who can just say, I can't do anything about it, but I see your heartbreak or I'm here to witness the birth of your child or your marriage, like that, that, that part, particularly the long arc friendships, the ones that 
you've had since grammar school. It really is this piece of acknowledging where we've come from and and being there for all of those transitions and changes. Doesn't even have to have a transactional component or a an outcome other than just mere presence. Yeah, I would I would call that my the generosity because within generosity, showing up and witnessing is so big mm. because that's me showing up that I want to be here for you. I'm my generous hearted for you. I'm just showing up mm. and witnessing. Beautiful. I, I I I looked at witnessing as being the one of the languages, but then I decided generosity would include that. Where would you put something like shared adventuring or discovery, like learning something new together? Would that be an- in play? Play or creative stimulation, stewardship, either of those could fall in there. depends on if it's a project or if it's just for the fun of playing or the exploration. You know, if I travel with you, I guess that would be part of, um, I'm going to love this question. Uh, so if, I tra- if we travel together and we explore, to me, that's still playful. When we travel, if we create something that we can give away, then it adds cre- another component. But that, to me, is play. And so are you making spaces for your friendships this year? What are you looking forward to doing in, with your friends? I am definitely making spaces. And actually, friendship and family, I want to say, too. Uh, to travel more with my sister. To travel with my daughter. She may go with me to Bali to a dance retreat, which would be a major gift to me in my life. If the, so I'm in May. And I'm going to be in Florida for a whole month, really playing with different friends and back on the beach with one of my best friends since I'm 18. And because she has an incredible community of drummers and dancers and naturists that are just nude on the beach on Saturdays and Sundays. And it is such a freedom of expression for me. So I don't get to do it. I live in the Northeast. I've also, I'm going to be doing some interviews and some work and writing. I'm going to write any book about this topic on friendship. And so I have this month that it'll be for... And, and, you know, you mentioned long-term friendships, which I so agree can be a reflection to our history. And yet, I think sometimes a new friendship or, you know, of any kind, male, female, non-binary, anybody that shows up in your life that can show you something new, it helps to – somebody can witness you differently. They can – and if they hold the space that when you're going through a hard time to see you as you can be – I think someone ha- a lot of pe- a lot of the friends that are coming into my life now that I do hold space for, including you, have this other wisdom. It's almost like it's not the regular five senses. It's this sense of they can see something else in me, and to see and for that, it's not only just historical friendships. It's someone who can actually hold the space for me to get through something. Maybe they won't be there during the time of grief exactly, or they don't live close. But they can somehow bring something new out in me. And I think we can give very solid advice for where you can go and find friends. Sometimes we have no idea. The the fact that we stay open to where can a surprise come from? Because I think the open Esther stage for me is about finding through curiosity and exploration, looking for the surprises that teach us about ourselves. And so friendship is that, is that I don't know where all my, I don't even, I still am excited to meet new friends. I mean, that's the way I live my life. And that doesn't mean that I can't hold my my closest five, six, seven people that know every aspect of me in such huge reverence. They are the closest circle around me. And yet someone new can show me something brand new about myself. And I'm excited about that. On that note, then there's this other kind of friendship, which is familial friendships with your adult children, which seem to also offer an expansive opening. And that changes every year. 
as they change and evolve, as we change and evolve. And, and if, we, if we're able to be lucky enough to be open to it and not expect that the kids are going to have come out a certain way and provide a certain something to us, then they have all the space that we hope that we were as young parents to become who they're meant to be and then witness them in such a way. And, see who, and, and my youngest son has become just so, so many things that I never saw in him because he holds this space that he was very, very linear like my husband and, 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 and more strategic and very achievement-oriented by with a, a, I wouldn't call it the same kind of driven personality, but definitely a a male energy that he had to soften because he, there was a little right and he would say it, righteousness in him growing up as a, when he was young especially till he could temper it and now he's one of his favorite things that he's learned is how much mindfulness helps him every day and how much opening his heart to, to people in his life and love and appreciating his family he's all of a sudden just this incredible human being to be with and and hang with and talk to and eat with and and and, and appreciate every bite with it's like that became a deep friendship for me in the past two years, having him home. So I completely talk about all these aspects of friendship. And my sister, I have, we're actually four siblings, but my sister and I are the closest. Family doesn't always become your friends. That takes work. I mean, friendship requires an investment, period. So even if it's a little making sure I connect with you whenever all you travel around California on, a, on the smallest scale, or somebody like Sarah, another new friend, to some of your richest friends that you don't want to neglect. So you have to remember, you know, how to show up. And so obviously with family, if we don't invest, then we're not going to reap that, that connect, that beautiful heart connection with them. So that's why I, I, I love this subject so much. <laughs> Thank you for asking me so much about it. I do. I, I mean, I also do because it seems to me to be the fabric, uh, the, the visible web uh, of the fabric of life. It's like it, it makes things visible, the connections visible. Sometimes here's something I've been playing with lately. I really think the next big move in culture uh, is energy and attunement, like the awareness of the energy that's moving inside of your own body, how it's moving, and then how energy changes and the proximity or connection to other people, strangers, friends, whatever, and noticing that. Like this literacy, energetic literacy is kind of coming up for me. So I was playing with it yesterday and I met three new people in a very short period of time and watched how my energy system responded to theirs. It's like a buffering, right? Like like my I perceive, I receive, I buffer, I respond. And I'm like in this kind of a dance of that. And that that's happening in friendships all the time, in relationships with people. And it really makes it most visible. You can see how you're responding to what another person's bringing. And in that context, I notice I have obligatory relationships, like obligatory friendships, family relationships, things that I feel like I have to do. And then there are the people where my tail starts wagging, you know, like I can't wait to talk to them and I can't, oh my God, let me share this with you. And, and I'm noticing that I don't feel in particularly like I'm changing, uh, but that there is a, a different kind of resonance with each individual and the and there's sometimes the resonance where you just feel like you can totally drop in and be yourself and what is that what is the difference between an energetic where you're sort of wary or cautious or like mm, not quite safe with that person or don't want to overwhelm that person and the one where you can just be like explosive 
And um, yeah, so have you thought about that or do you notice that in your own life? Like, Yes, I love that you're, how you're bringing it up so much. I love this. So I would say there's a little bit, a lot of the same play language in that resonance. If someone can't play with, with flexibility and adaptability and, and, and like moving about because they, 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 they're more solid, they're more an introvert or scientific and, and bring out different sides of themselves, or they need a little more exactness in their ways of structuring things. I don't, not, there's always usually a little bit of a clash for me that I don't resonate or I feel, and I feel lessened by because I, they don't, they can't see me. I can't see them. It's not just them, me, it's them. So there's not a connect with every human being. So I, I, I mean, I don't know if it's only play. This is a, a development thing I'm doing. I don't have all the answers. And then the other thing is friendships that made me think about that I've also, I forgot about another uh, dear man I met who's very energy attuned and his name, his name is Josh. And I met him actually in California and then he came out here and hung out with me. He was on one of my podcasts about spiritual uh, evolution because he's the guy that really taught me to spend, he spends four hours a day outdoors every day in nature about grounding. And so he's very, very playful. And we had the same play language, even on Zoom, like really intense, making up songs, creative, like every, all the different things just came together for us. And so he came to visit me. We spent a weekend and it was almost like I got an overdose of me. It was, I was like, okay, Josh, I think I could do like one or two days, but I probably can't spend that much more than that because it's a little too intense. I need to rest. (laughs) And it was so high energy and so attuned in some ways. And yet it's so interesting how different people bring different things to your life. If we just notice that like, oh, wow, this is what that was here to teach me. And this is how I felt about myself then. And, and then what am I open to from that? And how do I express that clearly and with kindness and love? And I have to do the same thing actually with my with my husband. I mean, Amir and I, it's we go through very playful, wonderful, creative, exciting, collaborative ideas together. That is our big language as a friendship. And we we're in the hot tub and we, we we'll we'll get stoned, especially our ideas are completely off the wall. But but the idea that he represents that friendship piece of me, and yet sometimes our energies are really not in tone. And how do we how do we do that dance when you're living with someone? This is never, there's no one answer. It's, it is a journey that no one has the answer to. We're just witnessing it and trying to show up the best we can. So you were saying being aware of the energy. I think it's great to do the best we can because that means we have to pause. It means we have to say, oh, okay, how's my energy feeling about this? And then it helps us also make decisions about boundaries or it helps us make decisions about opening and just letting ourselves be in a new mood and to create a new space, even if we didn't come from that when we first showed up with that human being. So it's an interesting way. We move energy through a dance, in my opinion. I don't have an answer exactly, but I think that exploration is really cool. You want to talk a little bit about how your open part is working out with Amir? How, how, is, that, how is that changing over the last few years? So when Amir and I thought about the term, the open nesters, to do the podcast with started three years ago, it was because our kids left. And I said, oh, now we're empty nesters. And he just said, oh, I don't think empty. I think we're open nesters. It was just a sweet, fun, cute term. It wasn't, didn't have that much. It keeps developing meaning for us over the past four years. So, and yet we had become, we were in an open relationship from 
the middle of our marriage 15 years ago, starting out just exploring very slowly over the first five years. Like we went to a few swing clubs or we met a few couples that we became friends with benefits from, not done as much the in-person swing orgy things, but we were exposed to it. And we talk about that on our podcast. And then we realized, and I especially realized because I fell in love with another man who I'm still, I still have in my life and going on along that, that for 14 years or more. And he and I have at least a monthly connection. Um, and, you know, on we communicate weekly. We've had a few breakups. But overall, he's married too. And we've just sustained something over these years that is precious because we see each other with a different kind of energy than we bring to our partnerships at home, our primary partnerships. And then, you know, we've opened ourselves to other couples that he and I have been with. Or Amir is dating a few other women. And I've... I'm learning to use my compersion muscle because he had to learn through jealousy, which was the beginning of learning about polyamory and and ethical non-monogamy, that when we realize almost like we have three kids and we can love them differently and at different times, that we that in the way it's worked for our relationship and we are very securely attached people. Jessica Fern wrote Polysecure and it expands on this idea of secure attachment and how we can do that in polyamory in a, in a way that also taught me about friendships. So I, I took parts of that for this, for my friendship series. Polyamory with my husband and I, though, has been interesting because there's jealousy always when you have a little bit of feeling like you're not the only one. And yet there's what we call compersion, what we've learned from polyamory, which is being happy for their happiness and giving them the space to kind of explore all the different sides of themselves in a love relationship as well. So he's exploring it more now. And it's just, it's it's a beautiful thing for, for me to see that, that someone can see him in a different light. And it makes me look at him in that light too. So it brings a little more love back into, or a little more excitement into, oh, look at my man. Like, you know, I like seeing a new side of him. I like him coming back with feeling that he has been seen anew. And it refre- for us, it refreshes our relationship. That's why our logo is uh, the infinity sign. Like almost like love, like you go out to the two sides and you bring it back into each other, and that's that's based on more polyamory and and we have a primary you know nesting relationship, whereas there's different forms of polyamory and there's relationship anarchy that is not at all there's no one in particular, so that's how Amir and I do ours, and it's been I mean there's no perfect relationship period, so we all know this you know none of us live in a perfect world so there's no perfect relationship but we're committed rather than obligated because you talked about obligation earlier with friendship which made me another think of that I say if you become too obligated with anything friendship or a relationship I think that's something to look deeply at because it's one thing to show up with commitment through somebody when something's going through a hard time but whether it's family, even family, of course, there's a little bit. I think that there's a reverence for your parents that you show even as long as you can if you, and you have to get over whether they'd be somebody you'd choose. And perhaps your siblings as well, and certainly your children. I mean, there are certain ways that we have unconditional love to give parts of ourselves, even if it's obligated. But in most of our other relationships, I think we can really, we need to choose. We need to choose it. I can be committed to someone, and that commitment can look at different ways if we're conscious in our communication around that. I think this fine noticing between commitment and obligation, the difference seems to come out of being an act of choice. An act of choice. Yeah. Yeah. If I choose to be committed and and I, I do this because I value a relationship, there's no resentment or irritation about it. 
versus the kind of like foot dragging irritation that comes with obligation. Absolutely. And that, and then, and then the idea that we're showing up and, and we feel committed to that person, even if we're going through something that we're not acting our best selves, but we can then stop ourselves to say, you know, right now I'm here, but I'm committed to getting through this. Just give me this space to just get through my stuff. Like that's also a sense of generosity to give somebody their space, right? Mm. In whatever way they need it. Sometimes it's not being witnessed and venting to them. Sometimes it's letting them go. Yeah. How do you feel about this scenario? So you have somebody who you have a really good connection with, you invest in something with them, you do a lot with them, for them, and then all of a sudden, uh, the minute you're not doing the reaching out, things go dark, that sort of reciprocity. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I shouldn't need reciprocity, I should just keep giving from my heart, but I do notice that then I get irritated. Oh, I so agree. I I can't sustain something that is not reciprocal. I don't, I mean, I will during a time that's hard, mm-hmm. but I won't do it for a long term. Mm. I mean, that's, you know, that's, and different people have different ways to give. And I have a few friends that they won't, they won't, you know, they won't respond to things as much or they're, they're just not as communicative. Their communication style is not as, as good as, as immediate as mine, as responsive as mine. And there are times that I just have to accept that. And often those are the people in my life and they're good, dear friends that will say, I'm so grateful that you're somebody who does stay in touch and does invite me to things because I get so caught up in my own stuff and I, and I need love and friendship. And I do love them for how they do show up. So why would I give that up? Right. I mean, I think that there's a fine point, but like a sense of mutual caring in some way. Otherwise, it like replays that pattern of neglect. Absolutely. Well, I think these are great topics. So anybody out there who is looking for a good listen uh, and wants to explore the topic of friendship more, tune into the Open Nesters podcast for this season. And as you can hear, Tessa has a lot of good insights into living generously and openly in all your relationships, including your primary romantic relationship or your love relationship. And isn't this the fabric of our lives? How do we live more related, more connected, more authentically with one another uh, throughout in all the domains of our life? So do you want to talk a little bit um, before we close out with things that you're offering in this year or core teachings that you feel like people would benefit from accessing or trying in order to live in a more open-hearted way or to create better relationships or friendships. Are, are there any pointers or tips you want to leave people with? Sure. Well, they're going to they come through this idea of these languages that I'm, that I'm talking about so that I can give them a structure and a little life around them. So I've started, and I do ask you to get onto my website, theopennesters.com, and if you go and you go into our resources or our community, you will find the newsletter you can sign up for. So this week and every week, I will be sending uh, some kind of a practice that I'm using in the, within these five friendship languages, five languages of friendship that helps us to awaken that muscle and practice that love and practice that connection. And by by knowing the how, how it showed up originally. So the first e-letter was about play. And the idea that we can show up in a playful way by by remembering. So my first tip to your audience is to remember those childhood thoughts, feelings, that and 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 the visceral experience of why you had joy as a child in the exploration of something playful that had no purpose to it. It was actually a purposeless thing, or you, sometimes you wanted to build a fort or you wanted to build something. But it didn't have a purpose in the world. It had a purpose for you, piece of music, your dance, however you express yourself. 
what brought you joy in your body? So our bodies are the temple of understanding. So that's my first, you know, leave leave behind for your audience is that find out what brought you so much joy. I mean, and if it was art or you haven't done painting for years and so, or a sport that you have kind of left behind and you can, there are sports that are now people are doing at older ages like pickleball that's instead of tennis or racquetball because it, and they're finding community and friendship because they found their play language. So that's a suggestion that I have for most people is to really go back to their that language of, of what brings you original joy because that's how we connect to someone in that resonant way. And please do subscribe to our podcast, The Open Nesters, and, and, and the on the newsletter you'll be getting those practices for me that I'll be offering as an ebook, and I'll be offering in different relationship seminars as the year progresses that you could find on my website under the, the Open Nesters backslash Tessa. So I'll be growing and doing different things at different places. And that's what I'm most excited about. Thank you so much. I would like to close with a conversation about what are the actions that we take in our friendships. And I started to think about away from the purpose or the intent of the friendship, like if you think about inviting people to things, giving small gifts, marking special moments in their lives, uplifting and celebrating and affirming them with positive language. Like, I really appreciate you, like you were saying about your friend, I really appreciate you, Tessa, for being the person who reaches out or being present in their griefs and moments of sadness, uh, planning quality time together and uh, supporting the things that matter to them, their philanthropies. Like, I always set aside a little bit of my charitable giving budget to a who knows so that when some friend posts a GoFundMe, there's a little bit extra there to support the causes that they care about. You know, just just touching each other, um, moving and doing physical stuff together. There are so many tangible actions that make the fabric of friendship that we can take. One very simple one is rather than making it a big, just like the meditation conversation in the beginning, like I've got to meditate every day, rather than I've got to do this big thing or make a date, just send an emoji when someone crosses your mind. You know, usually that's when they're thinking about you too. So you can acknowledge the synchronicity of the IP ping or, you know, just send a note that says thinking about you or a heart and and that those things can also just create the fabric of that connection. Oh my goodness. Thinking of you is like what I do when I'm thinking of someone. Just exactly. We somehow, some way, don't there's too much especially for men men have told me recently wow i want to have the friendships that i see women have and and a few men in my life are starting to do that just when they think of somebody thinking of you because you don't know exactly how and that's a little bit of an investment because it takes some people out of their regular comfort zone to keep going on with their day and all comes from that slowing down of how do i see you how do i show up for you do you need a touch or a hug? How can I show my generosity that way? And so if they're close to you, great. If they're not in your sphere that day that you could see them and show up or bring them something when they need it, then definitely the thinking of you. It's, it seems like a basic, right? Seems like that. Okay. Well, any any closing words? Just that I'm gra- grateful and honored to have met you because I feel like the reverence for the little rituals and the things that you're bringing to life with what you're doing you in the world and and grandmother earth like how we can have reverence for her and make her our friend first because when we're rooted and when we're not just trying to ascend we're also just kind of this conduit of connection 
that deep friendship with who we are for befriending ourselves is essential to be first. And I love how you always brought that to light. Uh-huh. Thank you. Yeah, that's a big part of my practice. You always belong as part of nature. Maybe less effort and more being in the field is, is, a, is a healing movement. And then when you're like sunk into the earth, then all of this like turning toward connection and turning toward love and turning toward activity and turning toward play comes from like an easy spot. You know, it's not so much efforting and overriding our, our core. But yeah, just even thinking about being in the ocean or being in the woods or something like that. And whoa, what a different feeling when I'm grounded. Ah, the awe, the awe and the joy. Instead of an oi and a joy, whatever, oi joy. <laughs> oi joy, the oi joy in it. Oi joy, oi the joy. So really, when we get down to seeing the basic joy, it comes from that and that belonging. If I belong to the earth, we belong to each other. Belonging sits right above basic physiological needs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's one of the core things we require, being alive in a human body. And I've come to think that belonging is just something that you decide. You decide you belong, you start showing up, and you belong. It's a lot like commitment and community, how they have the same root word and that if you want to be with, then you have to really show up and do it. So don't doubt, just go and commit to connection and belonging. So if you'd like to connect with Tessa, you can find her at theopennesters.com or on Instagram at theopennesters. And if you'd like to connect with me, I love it when people respond to the episodes and let me know what they think. You can find me on Instagram at the.rose.woman. And of course, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and bring someone to mind who might also enjoy it and text them the link. It really helps us grow. The show is sponsored by Rosebud Woman, a company I founded in the women's beauty and intimate wellness space. We make gorgeous topicals and ingestibles to support body well-being through all the stages of a woman's sensual, sexual, and reproductive life. And that is at rosewoman.com. So I will see you just as a final reminder. You're born perfect. You're just as perfect now as on the day you were born. You have nothing to prove. You're here as part of nature. Your inhale and your exhale are all that's needed for conscious participation in being alive and that you belong by the very nature of your embodiment. Psst, nothing else is required. See you next time.